Well, we bid you all welcome to the Bible class here this morning in Balamina. For also those who are viewing online, we welcome you also in the Saviour's name today. Could you turn with me this morning, please, to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. And we're going to commence our reading here today at the verse number 44 of this particular portion of God's precious word. Luke chapter 23. And commencing to read verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that site, beholding those things which were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance uh, and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. We'll end our reading there at the verse number 49. The Lord will bless Uh, even the public reading of his precious word. Could we bow uh, in a word of prayer before we come to consider uh, simply entitled uh, the message this morning, The Christian's Death Viewed in the Light of Christ's Death. The Christian's Death Viewed in the Light of Christ's Death. And so we'll bow in a word of prayer, ask for the Lord's help as we come to consider his word today. Our Lord and dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee once again for this tremendous privilege that we have right now to come to the throne of heavenly grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We come confessing this morning, just like the psalmist, that we are a poor and a needy people, and yet we're encouraged that the Lord of glory, he thinks upon us. And so we come this morning, we solicit heaven for that needed grace, uh, for preacher, for hearer alike, Uh, The Word of God might have free course and that thy great name might be uplifted and glorified. And we just pray today that in all things, the Lord Jesus Christ would receive the preeminence and all of the glory. Bless thy word to our hearts today, we ask in Jesus' name and for thy sake and for thy glory. Amen and amen. The Christian's death viewed in the light of Christ's death. So we ask the question then this morning, what is death? Death is the suspension of that personal union between the body and the soul, when the soul departs from the body. The body, for a time until Christ's return, returns into its chemical elements, and the soul, it enters the eternal realm into that state of existence, which is assigned to it by its creator and judge, either into heaven for those who are saved and in union with Christ, or earlier to that place of eternal torment, hell, for those who, while in time, rejected the Savior and his offer of mercy. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Over in Jeremiah 12, and the verse 5, we read these words, How shall I do in the swelling of Jordan? And how many of God's people with anxiousness have trembled over such a question, even that has entered into their own soul. How shall I be able to meet death? How shall I pass over this swelling flood? 
how will I, as an individual, meet with this last great enemy? According to Scripture, death is not really normal or natural, even though it is a persistent fact of uh, human history. Why is this? Because man was created by God to be a unity of body and soul. Genesis 2 and the verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man was created in that state to live forever with God, in fellowship with God. But sadly, as we know from Scripture, all this changed. As Romans 5 verse 12 teaches us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, and therefore are coming short of the glory of God. Therefore, Hebrews 9 verse 27 says that it is appointed unto men as a result of this. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Having to face this enemy, there can therefore arise many questions which cloud often even the believer's mind with doubt and with fear. There are the fears with which the child of God anticipates this last great enemy that he or she has to face. There are the suggestions of doubt and of unbelief that creep into the heart and soul even of the believer. There's the shrinking of the nature from the final wrench when the soul shall depart from the body. There is the listing of those fond and those tender ties which entwine us so closely with those we love and those we will leave behind. These are some of the swellings of Jordan which have the potential to cause fear even in the child of God's heart and, and life. And yet the Scripture teaches with great assurance that the child of God has hope in his death, Proverbs 14 and the verse 32. Unlike the unbeliever who enters into torment and into that place of eternal ruin, the best for a believer begins when his life ends, to be then forever with the Lord in eternal glory. Union with Christ is the Christian's anchor which he has there within the veil. Romans 8.35 teaches us explicitly who shall separate us from the love of Christ. A child of God alone can say with the words of Ecclesiastes 7 and the verse number 1 that the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. The Apostle Paul himself emphasized this truth and was able to say with great confidence over there in Philippians chapter 1 and the verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I would like us just for a little time this morning to examine why this is, why the Apostle Paul was able with confidence to say, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So why is death different for the child of God? Simply we could say, in a nutshell this morning, that it is because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, uh, 2 and the verse 9 says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the sufferings of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Now, it is very obvious that even believing Christians do die physically. But the fact is this, they don't and they shall never taste death. The bitterness, 
the darkness, the anguish, and all the evil that goes along with death, the Lord Jesus Christ has tasted that for us, as we shall consider even this message today. The result of our Savior's tasting death for us is that we might share in His life. He says in the Word, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Only by the Son of God tasting death could the sons of God be delivered from the ruins of the fall. And so we read here in Luke chapter 23 and the verse 46, as we view here now our Savior there upon the cross, and when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now these words of Christ here, they are extremely important, child of God, as we consider this particular thought of the Christian's death, viewed here now in light of Christ's death for us. From these words firstly this morning, from these words we see here the absolute uniqueness of our blessed Savior. Here we view Christ in the uniqueness of his person as the only mediator between God and men. The Bible teaches that God himself has provided the only means through which his wrath could be appeased and sinful man could be reconciled unto him and God to man. For this reason, God the Son, he came in the uniqueness of his person into this world in human flesh to be the perfect sacrifice for sin and to make atonement, or as the Scripture reiterates it, to make propitiation for our sins. Question 22 of our catechism that our young people learn, it asks this question, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? The answer given there is this, Christ, the Son of God, became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and born of her yet without sin. And so over in 1 John 4, in the verse 10, we read concerning this unique person. We read there, herein is love. Not that, God loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and also being reconciled unto them. Now, two things were necessary in order to make propitiation. First, a complete satisfaction must be offered to God's outraged holiness and his offended justice. And this, in the case of our sinless substitute, could only be by him suffering the outpoured wrath of God for us there upon the accursed tree. And this had been borne by him there upon the cross, as we read in Matthew 27 and 46, uh, another view of Christ there upon the cross. We read about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now there remained only the second thing, 
And that was for the Savior to taste of death for us. Scripture teaches it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. With the sinner it is death first and then the judgment. But with the uniqueness of the Savior, the, the order was, of course, reversed and it was unique. The Savior, as our substitute and as our sacrifice upon the cross, He endured firstly the judgment of God against our sin in His person. And then He died, yielding up the ghost for us. And so we find the end is now reached here as the Savior dies. As perfect master of himself, unconquered by death itself, he cries with a loud voice and he himself delivers up his spirit into the hands of his Father. And in this, his uniqueness was triumphantly manifest. None else ever did this and none else ever died thus. His birth was unique, virgin born. His life was unique living a sinless life for us. And his death also was unique on our very behalf. The Lord Jesus Christ died as none other ever did. His life was not taken from him, but he laid his life down of himself. The Lord Jesus Christ himself had said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. This was his claim. John 10, verse 17 and 18, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. In Matthew 27, and the verse 50, we read, Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. The proper force of the original meaning of the Greek here is actually that Christ dismissed his spirit. This expression is most appropriate here in Matthew, which is known as the kingly gospel. And it presents our Lord as the son of David and the king of the Jews. And such a term is beautifully suited to the royal gospel. For the Lord's act, it indicates here one of supreme authority, as of a king dismissing his servant. So the Lord dismisses his spirit into the hands of his Father. In John, which is the gospel of Christ's divine glory, another word is employed by the Holy Spirit. There we read, he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Or he delivered up would be perhaps more exact in keeping with his divine glory, as one who had full power over his soul and spirit, he delivers up his spirit unto the Father. In laying down his life, Christ's death was differentiated from all other deaths. He died by an act of his own will. He died voluntarily. And who but the Savior could have accomplished or could have done this. This cry of Christ here, therefore, upon the cross was not the cry of defeat in death, but it was the cry of the victorious, of the mighty victor of Calvary. It was not the cry of one being conquered by death, but it was the cry of the one who was 
conquering death itself. It was not a cry of a person who was simply a victim of his circumstances, but it was a cry of one who was uniquely uniquely in control of all of his circumstances. And as a commander who would dismiss his servant from his very presence, the Lord Jesus Christ dismissed his own spirit, yielded up the ghost willingly for us, and went to be with God the Father as he spoke there those words of prophecy back in Psalm 31 and the verse 5. And when the centurion at the cross witnessed Jesus Christ's victorious cry here upon the cross, he he recognized that very centurion. He recognized the difference between Christ's death and every other dying man that he had seen hanging upon a cross. And it was at that very moment that he cried in verse 47 there, certainly this was a righteous man, different, different from all others. Secondly, this morning from Uh, These words we get there for a view of the believer's eternal security. We have seen the uniqueness of the Savior as He suffers on our behalf and yields Himself over unto death. But also from these words, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. We get a glimpse, we get a view of the believer's eternal security. You see, again and again, the the Savior, He spoke of a, a people which had been given to Him. And at the hour of his arrest, he says there in John 18, verse 9, of of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Child of God, do you realize that you actually belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? That you are actually his purchased possession? That you have been bought there through the atoning shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? you have been bought with his own precious blood. Therefore, belonging to Christ means that you're united inseparably to him by a covenant bond. Galatians 3 verse 13 says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. This word redeemed, it simply means to buy out. The term redeem was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. The application of this term to Christ's death on the cross on our behalf is therefore quite telling and revealing. If we are redeemed, then our prior condition was one of slavery. And Christ, by His unique person and unique work, has purchased, therefore, the freedom of that people given to him in the great covenant of grace. And we, therefore, saved and redeemed by the grace of God, no longer are in bondage to sin and to Satan. Related to the Christian concept of redemption is also the word ransom. And the Lord Jesus Christ, there upon the cross, he paid the ransom price for our release from sin and all of its consequences to follow. His death, therefore, was in exchange for our life, life eternal found alone in Jesus Christ. In fact, Scripture is quite clear that redemption is only possible through the shedding of His precious blood and His death there upon the accursed tree. 
In Isaiah chapter 53 and the verse 7, we read that Christ there was oppressed and he was afflicted. And you will know as you read Isaiah chapter 53 that is a, a, a wonderful picture of the Savior being afflicted and suffering there upon the cross on behalf of his people. Verse 7 says that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And the Hebrew word rendered there oppressed in the verse 7, it, it simply means to demand a payment of. And there was therefore demanded, there was required of Christ, the very payment of our sins in full and totality upon the accursed tree. And on that basis, Christ was therefore afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised. You see, by nature, it is you and I who are debtors unto God. We owe God supreme love. We owe God perfect holiness. We owe Him entire obedience. And to meet this great debt, we are utterly incapable and unable in and of ourselves. You see, by nature, we are bankrupt of all righteousness and strength and have nothing of ourselves to pay this great and this tremendous price. And you consider Christ there upon the cross as your great paymaster. Lord Jesus Christ in eternity, he entered into a covenant signed with his own hand and afterwards sealed with his own precious blood and the giving up of his own life to free us from all of this great debt and to give unto us a life, life eternal. And all this, child of God, therefore, what the uniqueness of Christ's person and of his work, what this means is that you are therefore his redeemed by his precious blood, ransomed from the fall. You're his by covenant union. You are his purchased possession. You are Christ, and Christ is therefore now fully accountable for you. Do you see it, child of God? Christ is fully accountable for your body and for your soul, redeemed and ransomed from the fall. He is accountable for you in body and soul, in life and in death and time and throughout all of God's eternity. It implies that He is responsible, therefore, for every part of you and He must keep you and lead you to the eternal glory of His kingdom. It means that He rules you by His Spirit and grace. And as your Lord, He gives you all you need for body and soul and time and, and in eternity. And therefore, child of God, you can rely upon Him. Scripture urges us casting all our care upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. Belonging to Jesus means, you can say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I live, yet not I, but Christ, He liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, the one who loved me and who gave Himself for me. You see the uniqueness of your Savior this morning. You see the eternal security that you have in union with Him. And so we can say all things are now controlled by Christ. Who is at God's right hand? The one who is King of kings and Lord of lords who sits as supreme upon the throne of glory. And all the events, therefore, of your little life and my little life are controlled by Christ and are used by Christ for my good and spiritual profit and ultimately for His glory. 
all the problems and pains of this present life, and yea, even death itself that we have to faith, uh, face cannot crush me or, or sever this blessed union uh, that Christ by grace has established for me and has established with me. It was in full consciousness of belonging to Jesus Christ that caused the Apostle Paul to utter these beautiful words in, in Romans 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In John 18, verse 9, Christ had uttered, we've already uh, quoted this verse, there in the garden, of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none. Is it not lovely to, to see that now in the hour of his death, the blessed Savior commends those who belong to him into the safekeeping of his Father? You, you may say to me, how is that? He only said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But here we see, now in the hour of his death, the blessed Savior commends those who belong to him along with himself into the keeping of the Father. You see, child of God, on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ hung and suffered as the representative, the covenant representative of his people. And therefore we view even his last act also as a representative one on behalf of all of his people for whom he died, those whom he redeemed and ransomed from the fall. When the Lord Jesus commanded, commended his spirit into the hands of his Father, he, he also presented our spirits along with his, all of his redeemed, into the Father's acceptance and into the Father's keeping. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ he never lived nor died for himself, but everything he accomplished in life and in death was in union with his people. Never forget that, child of God. And what he did in this last act referred to every one of them as much as to himself. And we must look then on Christ as here gathering all the souls of all of his people. You think about Christ on the cross, all of his suffering that he endured, the wrath of God against his soul was on behalf of his covenant people. They are there in union with him. He is bearing their sins in his own body to the tree. And so we must look on Christ here as gathering all the souls of all of his people together, making a solemn tender of all of his people with his own spirit and committing it unto the Father. The Father's hand in, in Scripture is none other than the place of eternal security. And into that hand the Savior committed his people, and they are there forever safe in life and in death. Christ, referring to his people, says in John 10, 29, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and none is able to, to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And here then is the ground of the believer's confidence. Here is the basis of our assurance. Just as nothing could harm Noah when Jehovah shut the door of the ark, so nothing can touch the soul of the saint which is grasped by the hand of omnipotence itself eternally and forever. None can pluck us thence, weak, truly weak as we are in and of ourselves, but we are kept by the power of God. 
1 Peter 1 verse 5, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed, even at the last time. In Deuteronomy 33 verse 27, we read these tremendous words, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. And the picture there in Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 is, uh, that picture suggests that there is, is that simply of a little child? lying in the strong arms of a father who is able to withstand all storms, all danger, all that would come against it. And yet at the two extremities of life, whether that be childhood or uh, old age leading to death, this promise comes with special assurance to the hearts of the children of God. He he says for, for... Words for the children, those weak in the faith. He shall gather the arm, the lambs in his arms, and shall carry them in his bosom. Isaiah forty eleven. But Isaiah forty six four brings blessed comfort to the age, those facing even death itself, and even to your old age. I am He, and even to whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, and I will bear. Even I will carry, and I will deliver you. And so, when, when death comes. When death comes to us and every earthly thing is passing from beneath, beneath us and we sink away into what seems to be darkness, out of all human love, out of the warmth and gladness of this life that we have experienced, into the gloom and strange mystery of death and eternity to come, still for the believer it will only be into the everlasting arms. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, is the words of God. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are ever his everlasting arms. And this truth brings great comfort to the child of God. A strong one, a mighty God, an almighty God, holds us in his omnipotent grasp, loves us with an everlasting love. We're in divine keeping, you see. And therefore our security, it does not depend upon our own feeble, wavering faith. And how, how feeble, how wavering our faith is at times, and that right? So often captivated by doubt and fear in, in the life of the child of God. But our security does not depend on these things. But it depends upon Christ, the one who's our surety, the uniqueness of his person, of his work. Upon his omnipotence, his love, the faithfulness of his unchanging person and the unchanging God. Then finally this morning from these words I want us to see the blessedness therefore of communion with the Father in in all occasions. The blessedness of communion with the Father in in all occasions. You see, what what we see from this cry of Christ on the cross is the fact that communion with God may be enjoyed independent of place or circumstance. The Savior here, you view him, he was upon the cross. Surrounded by a taunting crowd, he had passed alone. You remember those three hours that Christ had passed through his immense suffering and body and soul when he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And and he is bearing the wrath of God against our sin. His body is is suffering intense agony. Nevertheless, he is now again here found at this moment in in fellowship with his Father. 
This is one of the, the sweetest truths brought out even by this text. It is our privilege as those who are in union with Christ to enjoy communion with God at all times, no matter where we are or what circumstance we have to face. Even in death itself, child of God. You see, communion with God is by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 teaches us now faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Christian believes what God says. He has never with the physical eye seen heaven. He has never with the physical eye seen an angel. He has never looked upon his Savior with the physical eye. But you see, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, with the eye of faith, he has beheld him. He has looked upon evidence which is satisfactory to his soul. That God has spoken on these subjects in his word, and this prompts the true believer in Christ with confidence to rely upon the revealed word of his Creator and of his Redeemer with great confidence. You see, they are the words of one who cannot lie. And you see, ultimately, child of God, it does not matter how you will meet death as a child of God. It is your unspeakable privilege to enjoy communion with God, no matter what that circumstance might be. Just as the three Hebrew children enjoyed fellowship with the Lord, there was one like unto the Son of Man in the midst of the fiery furnace, And just as those three Hebrew children enjoyed fellowship with the Lord in the midst of the fiery furnace, as Daniel enjoyed fellowship with his Savior there in the lion's den, as Paul and Silas did there in the jail, and as the Savior did here even upon the cross, so may you, child of God, even in the valley of the shadow of death itself. The Lord uses the word here, Father, And how often this word was upon the Savior's lips. His first recorded utterance was there in Scripture, Wish ye not that I must be about my Father's business. While in his final discourse to his disciples, known as the Paschal Discourse found in John chapters 14 through to 16, the word Father is also found there no less than 45 times. And now at the last time here again, the Savior speaks before he lays down his life. He says again, Father, tremendous words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. O child of God, how how blessed it is that his Father is our Father. Ours because we are Christ and are in union with him. What a blessed thing it is for us also to be able to to die, conscious that we are the sons of God. Oh, how sweet in life and in death to feel in our soul the spirit of adoption whereby we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. What comfort is contained in this tremendous title, Father, what assurance it conveys. God is actually my Father through Christ. Then He actually loves me. He actually loves me as he loves Christ himself. 
And therefore he cares for me, body and soul, holds me in his omnipotent, omnipotent clasp. And for me he will therefore, as Philippians 4.19 says, he will therefore supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, even in the very hour of death itself. You know, child of God, we, we enjoy unique privileges. I use that word specifically. We've been considering the uniqueness of our Savior in whom we are in union with. And therefore, as the children of God, the children of our Heavenly Father, we enjoy unique privileges. And this is something we must keep in mind, even as the people of God. You see, too often we can focus upon the difficulties of our circumstances, and we lose sight of the great privilege and the great blessing that we possess in union with Jesus Christ. And yet, child of God, for us, the fact remains, our position in Christ and our privileges through Christ, they never change. They never change. No matter what circumstance we face, what position we are in our life, even entering into death itself, our position in Christ and our privileges through Christ, they never change. You see, if we can honestly address God as our Father, no matter what our current circumstances, we are already richly blessed. The Scripture teaches us that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, child of God this morning, let the realization of this great truth, even this very word that our Savior uses, Father, let the realization of this great truth be an antidote against fear in our lives and our hearts creeping in. Fill your heart and your soul and mind with the authority and of God's precious word. Nothing, no matter what it might be, nothing comes to pass but what is ordained by God's decree and ordered in His providence, even our very death itself. As our Father, God comforts us in all of our troubles, no matter what they might be. Psalmist David expressed this confidence in Psalm 103, verse 13. He says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord, the Lord pities them that fear him. David went on and proceeded to say in Psalm 103, verse 14, He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. And you see, being our covenant head, being in union with us, taking our humanity into union with his deity, being bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, can we not say with the words of Hebrew that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmity? He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, Christ is fully identified with his people in all that they face and is the one who is able to succor them at the very point of their need, yea, even in death itself. He is the one who has passed through that veil. He is our forerunner who has for us entered within the veil. He is the one who brings all of his people safely even unto glory. You see, our Father has promised to give us a, a glorious inheritance. And this is because of our union with Christ. The burden of Peter's heart was to get this truth over to the suffering saints of his day. 
He says in 1 Peter 1 and the verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. It is reserved in heaven even for you at this very moment in time. Your Savior is there. And where he is, there one day you will be also. Does not these words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit? Teach very poignantly then that this blessed truth and fact of communion with the Father, even in the hour of death itself, that hour that we face so much, that hour that so often would creep into our hearts and into our minds and, and fill our souls with doubt and with fear, then why dread it, fellow Christian, if David himself under the Old Testament dispensation could say in Psalm 23 and the verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Why should believers now fear after that Christ has extracted the sting out of death itself? You see, he tasted death. He tasted the sting of death on our behalf that we might never have to taste that sting. Death may be the king of terrors to the unsaved, but to the Christian, death is simply the door which ushers us into the presence of our well-beloved. There's no sting in death for the child of God. It has been extracted by Christ in the uniqueness of his person and his work he's given unto us an eternal security. And we may enjoy that fellowship and that communion even with Christ and with the Father in the hour of death. That sweet communion. You see, union with Christ, something you know that we need to focus on as the people of God. Possibly it's something that we don't focus enough on in our own lives. But union with Christ is the Christian's anchor which he has within the veil. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Not even death itself. In Hebrews 1 verse 3 we read, When he, that is Christ, had by himself purged our sins, he, he sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's who you view this morning. You're in union with him. You're in union with one who's at the, the Father's right hand, who is now even living in the power of an endless life. What a blessed declaration this is. Having finished his work, having made an end of sin, having brought in everlasting righteousness, having uh, even risen from the grave, having ascended on high all on behalf of his people. Christ has sat down at the right hand of God, reposing in the full satisfaction, glory, and the expectancy of his redeeming work. What's the expectancy of his redeeming work? That where he is, there we one day will be also. And for what object is he there seated? Why is he thus presented to the eye of faith and to the child of God through Scripture? It is that the church of God that they might have visibly and constantly before its view a risen, living, exalted Christ whom they are in union with. And one who the Scripture teaches is bringing many sons to glory. May we be able today even to rest in, in his word and may it be an encouragement to our souls today. We'll just uh, close our Bible class in a word of prayer. Our Lord and dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee again for uh, thy word that has been opened in our midst, and we pray that these things that we have been considering even today will be that manna even to our souls. Help our 
uh, even by the eye of faith, to view afresh the uniqueness of the person and the work of our blessed Savior in whom we are in union with. Thank Thee for that redeeming work, for the one who has ransomed our souls from a lost eternity, bringing us again up out of the pit of death, one who has extracted the, the very sting out of death on behalf of his people. He's given unto us eternal life, and we shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck us out of his hand. So we thank Thee for that union that we enjoy. We thank Thee for our Savior. We thank you that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Help us to appropriate these great truths and these uh, privileges and what we have in Jesus Christ. And may they be made over more and more to our accounts. Enable us to die unto sin, live unto righteousness, and to go on and to go through with God, confident in the one who is the very God of our salvation and who is continually bringing many sons to glory. Bless thy word to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen.